Welcome to The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. Today, you are going to learn how to outsmart emotional eating and live a life of happiness and joy without giving up the foods you love. Now, here is Dr. Nina. Hi there. Welcome to The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. I'm your host, Dr. Nina Savelle Rocklin. I'm a psychoanalyst and I am here to help you liberate yourself from emotional eating, take control of your life and feel good in your body, all without dieting, spending hours in the gym or counting a single calorie carb or fat gram. Today, we're going to talk about surviving the slip-ups saying goodbye to binge eating, relapse, and sabotage. Let me ask you something. Are you always on a diet, but just never quite reach your goal weight? Or if you do get to a healthy weight, is it impossible to stay there? Maybe you end up binging again and regaining all the weight you lost. The road to liberation from binge eating is not a straightforward path. In fact, any kind of change is not a straightforward path. As with anything, creating change involves navigating both successes and challenges. With binge eating disorder, that means dealing with those inevitable slip-ups. When that happens, it can be very disheartening. It can really make you doubt yourself. It can make you feel bad about yourself. But the good news is... It is possible to learn from these experiences so that it doesn't happen again. Every setback is an opportunity for growth. Let me give you an example of someone I'm going to call Jane. So Jane was was finally believing in the binge cure, realizing she wasn't thinking about food as much. She wasn't obsessing over every carb. She wasn't worrying about eating in front of other people. And she'd started to lose weight without dieting, without even thinking about food. She could then recognize her triggers. She was developing new coping strategies. In fact, she couldn't remember the last time she had binged. And then she went to a family reunion where she saw, drum roll, her older sister, the golden child, a member of the family she tried to avoid at all times. And her sister hadn't been scheduled to be at the reunion, but she showed up unexpectedly to surprise everybody. Oh, Jane was surprised. As I said, her sister had always been the golden child, the pretty one, the thin one, and now the successful one. She really had the Midas touch. And her parents just absolutely doted on this sister. And Jane, poor Jane, she felt like a second-rate daughter compared to her fabulous sister. And that night, she ended up binging, and she felt miserable. And she thought, oh, my God, why did I relapse? So why did Jane binge? Because being in her sister's presence opened up some old wounds that had not healed, and she felt really diminished and and less than in comparison to her sister. By realizing what had actually triggered her, she was able to move past the relapse. She saw it as a learning opportunity rather than a setback, and she got back on track and did more healing around her sibling issues so that in the future, that wouldn't be a trigger for her. And By the way, let's take a moment to define what binge eating disorder is and is not. It is the most prevalent eating disorder, and it is a treatable condition. 
a lot of people who struggle with binge eating disorder, they think they're food addicts. They think they have no control. They lack willpower. No. Overcoming binging is not a matter of having more control or willpower, and it is not about being addicted to food, uh, although it sure feels like it's about those things. Absolutely. It feels like it's about addiction and control and willpower. But here's what binging actually means. It means eating a large amount of food in a short period of time, feeling totally out of control while you're eating. And that is typically followed by feelings of incredible shame, guilt, embarrassment, and remorse. Not only do you feel bad about what you ate, you feel bad about yourself. And the signs and symptoms of binge eating disorder can vary from person to person, but there are some common signs and symptoms that people with binge eating disorder often experience. That includes eating large amounts of food in a short period of time, eating when you're not hungry or you don't want to eat any more food, but you just somehow can't stop, eating until you're uncomfortably full or even in pain, eating alone, in secret, feeling guilty, ashamed, embarrassed after eating, um, experiencing real low self-esteem or, or worthlessness because of what's going on with food, thinking about food all the time, missing social events due to concerns about your weight or wanting to stay home and eat instead, those kinds of things. And as I said, binge eating disorder is the most common type of eating disorder there is, and it affects people of all genders, ages, and ethnicities. And a lot of people who struggle with binge eating disorder don't know they have a diagnosable and treatable eating disorder. So remember this, binge eating is a negative coping strategy that involves eating as a way of dealing with some difficulties in life, whether it's internal feelings that you have or situational feelings you have about situations or ideas or conflicts, things like that. So the key to stop binging for good is to identify why, why you're using food to cope and develop new ways of expressing yourself and cultivating more helpful self-soothing strategies. And it's normal to have setbacks during during treatment or during this change but you know if it happens when it happens relapse feels like a major defeat it's important to know that relapse is normal it is temporary and as it was the case for jane it can be an an opportunity to learn more about yourself to prevent future relapses and what is relapse we throw that word around a lot, but what does it actually mean? It means a return to behaviors after a period of abstinence or improvement. So that means binging again after not doing so, focusing more on food, avoiding social situations, or eating to cope with anxiety, depression, loneliness, or stress, whether it is a full-out binge or not, that uh, using food as a coping strategy. And, and relapses aren't just about behavior. They also have to do with your mindset. So being increasingly more dissatisfied with your weight, uh, having body image issues come up, that's also tied to relapse. So if your weight or your body image is tied to your self-worth or it distracts you from other issues in your life, that is a warning sign of relapse. 
And relapse, again, it is not a sign of failure. It's common during many, any, I should say, any process of change, there are ups and downs. There are times when you feel great. There are times when you have a real handle on coping strategies and times when you don't because you're still learning these, this new way of being. So the key is to plan, plan, plan for, for when those tough times come around again. And one of the best ways to prevent relapse is to identify your triggers. And your triggers are the things that make you want to slip back into that unhealthy coping strategy of binge eating. Once you know what your triggers are, you can develop a plan for how to deal with them. There are many common reasons for relapse. One of the most common ones is stress. And that could be anything from a relationship breakup or a job loss to moving to a new city, starting a new job. Stress doesn't always have to come from things that are difficult or challenging. Stress can come from good things in life. You know, getting married is wonderful and amazing and stressful. Getting a new house, stressful. Having a baby, wonderful, stressful. Stress can be triggered by loss, dealing with financial difficulties, managing anxiety during a pandemic. I think we're all familiar with that one. Any change, positive or negative, or any upheaval in your life is challenging. And that fact of being challenged is a, a risk for relapse. One common reason is stress. Another common reason for relapse is loneliness or isolation. I guess technically those are two, but I put them together because they often go together. Um, binge eating can often start as a way to cope with loneliness. When we feel deeply alone, it feels like an internal emptiness that can be symbolically filled with food. Not that we think of it consciously. We're not thinking, oh, I feel lonely and therefore quite empty, which I'm experiencing somatically as emptiness, and therefore I will symbolically fill it with food. No, no, no. We don't think it. We're just on autopilot. We feel it and we do it. So if you're feeling isolated and alone and lonely, even in a group of people, in fact, I think the worst loneliness is when you feel lonely in a group of people, it's really important to deal with that. And by the way, how do you deal with loneliness? You, you cultivate more of an attitude of solitude. Loneliness is, is sadness over being alone. Solitude is the state of being comfortably alone. And when you could be alone with a part of yourself that can provide comfort, understanding, and encouragement, you feel a, a sense of solitude and inner peace. And when that happens, you are less likely to use food to cope because you feel good. Uh, another an, another reason for re relapse is being around triggers, so, people who are triggers, situations that are triggers. Maybe you have people in your life or there are situations that trigger you emotionally. For Jane, being around her fabulous older sister, the, 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 the golden child, was definitely a trigger. And other triggers can be listening to, to friends or family members who are always dieting or always talking about their own body images, or always talking about their new workout plan. All of that can itself be a trigger. So remember, the trigger to binge eating is a situation. It is not food. 
you may feel like you are triggered by food, but you are triggered by some situation, some emotion, some situation that causes some emotion, and you turn to food as a way of coping. So it is the solution to the problem. It is not the problem. So really think about what your triggers may be. Um, another reason for, for relapse is perfectionism. And that means expecting yourself to be perfect, perfect in everything you do and not allowing yourself to miss a beat. But change is not linear. Everyone has moments of backsliding. And these are also, again, great opportunities for learning. Think about, think about baby steps. What, what do we say when babies start taking their first uncertain steps? They take a few steps and then they always fall. And we don't say, oh, well, that baby's never going to walk. So much for that baby. That baby's a failure. We would never say that. We say, you got this, baby. Try again. You've got this. Get on your feet. You can do this. Just a couple more steps. We are encouraging. And we need to be equally as encouraging to ourselves. Because when we discourage ourselves instead of encourage ourselves, when, when we're discouraging to ourselves, we feel bad. And when we feel bad because we've just made ourselves feel bad, can't make yourself feel bad and make yourself feel better at the same time. So how do you make yourself feel better? Hey, what's in the kitchen? What can I snack on? What can I eat? Right? That is why our attitude towards ourselves is always so important. Now, how, how do we prevent relapse? Well, of course, there's no guarantee you'll never relapse because there's no such thing as ever just starting something and doing it perfectly because there's also no perfect. Nobody sits down at a piano for the first time and just you know, takes one lesson and, and, or even 12 and learns how to play Tchaikovsky. You have to practice, practice, practice. So remember, relapse is part of change, but there are still things that you can do to reduce your risk of relapse or minimize the amount of time that it happens. So of course, one of them is identifying your triggers and identifying a, 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 a plan for how you're going to deal with them if they come up. And if you turn to unhealthy behaviors when you're stressed, it's important to practice nurturing and helpful coping strategies. So those will take the place of binging. And one of those is to really, uh, well, I'm going to get to those. How do you do that? One is to process your feelings. So the way you feel your emotions is to first identify what you're experiencing. And most emotions can be distilled into one of these, mad, glad, sad, or afraid. Mad, sad, glad, or afraid. So whatever you're feeling, think about which of those fits. Like anxiety is a form of being afraid. It's fear about the future, fear of something happening. Uh, frustration is mad. You know, a, little, a little gloomy can be sad or sad is sad, and glad is you know, happy, joy, all of those. We usually have no trouble identifying those. And then express those feelings with words and affect, either by journaling or talking to a friend, a partner, a therapist, a support buddy. Join my Dr. Nina's Food for Thought community on Facebook. Share there. If you're not already a member, we'd love to have you. That's Dr. Nina's Food for Thought community on Facebook. 
And it's a place where you can process your feelings, share your, your fears, your hopes, your wins, your anxieties, all of it. Also, turn your inner critic into a friend. When we are kind to ourselves, when we encourage and support ourselves, we can handle almost anything. Yes, we can. The nicer you are to yourself, the better you are going to feel, which eliminates the need to binge or turn to food in any way. And we do this by speaking to ourselves the way we would speak to a friend or someone we care about. We, we use the same words or tone of voice that we would use for a friend or a loved one. And have a solid support system in place. These are people you can rely on when things get tough. They're the people who will talk you through your triggering situation. They'll help you find a healthy way to cope. Um, and uh, again, you know, there's lots of places online, like my community, join that. There are, there are, there are people out there who get it and who are available and who are there to support you and also receive your support. So as anyone who is struggling to overcome relapse knows, it, it is a major, major concern. It is a reality for most people. Uh, there are estimates out there that the relapse rate for eating disorders, and this is across all eating disorders, are similar to the relapse rate, if you're going to call it that, for depression and anxiety, which is between 40 and 50% of people relapse. I personally think it's higher, but uh, the good news is that there are things you can prevent those relapses from happening, being aware of your triggers, finding new ways to deal with stress, challenging the idea of perfectionism, and being kind to yourself. When you do that, you can really break free from binging for good and stop the relapse. Now, here's a question. Is it relapse or is it sabotage? Often we use the same word for the same behavior, but they're actually different experiences. So sometimes we go back to old patterns because on, on some level, we fear change. Consciously, we want to stop binging. We want to feel good. It's like, yes, I am all about that. I want to wake up and think about my day, not my diet. I don't want to have to think about what I'm eating, what I shouldn't eat, what I ate. I don't want to think about all that stuff all day long. I want to be free from that. I want to fit into my cute clothes. I want to feel comfortable in my clothes. I want to feel good in my bodies. That's, but that's what I want. Absolutely. Consciously. We, we, we want to get to a healthy weight. We want to, if, if we're not at a healthy weight, because people who, by the way, people struggle with binge eating, some are at a healthy weight. You actually can't tell if someone is struggling with binge eating by what they weigh, by the way. Um, so we, we imagine how good it will feel to be free from the obsession and the preoccupation and from the extra weight, if that's a concern for us. And we, we think it's going to be amazing and wonderful. And yet there are often hidden parts of our mind that put the brakes on positive change. And that's when sabotage comes in. So whereas relapse has to do more with situations, something that's happening, some place you're with, something that's going on that makes you feel a certain way and you go back to an old coping strategy, sabotage has to do with 
inner conflict. So relapse is about being in a situation that throws you into a, a relapse. Sabotage has to do with some inner conflict about change. And there are seven kinds of fears that lead to sabotage, seven anxieties that lead to sabotage when it comes to food. So let's understand each of them and explore how they may be keeping you stuck. Maybe one or maybe a few or maybe all might resonate for you. The first one is fear of success. So it's it's counterintuitive. It sounds counterintuitive, but success can be scary. Once we succeed, we often worry if we'll be able to maintain that success. It can be easier to not succeed in the first place and just hope that one day we'll get to our goal. Or when, because that way, when we don't reach our goal, when we're just striving to meet the goal, we don't have to worry about losing ground later or being humiliated by visibly regaining weight, for example. And there are other reasons to fear the outcome of success. Friends and other relationships might change. An example is Bettina, who realized that what kept her connected with a lot of her friends was their mutual wish to lose weight and become fitter. And once she was no longer joining them in their diet talk, which, by the way, ironically always took place over dinner or lunch, um, she realized that she had less to say to her friends and she felt disconnected and at a loss. So she, she wondered that if by losing weight, she would also lose her connection to her friends. And like Bettina, you might also feel as if you have less in common with certain people when you reach your goal or that your weight loss and, and subsequent happiness may invite their jealousy. That's another fear. And again, these, are, these, these fears are all unconscious. They're out of awareness, but not out of operation. But by recognizing what they are and bringing them from the darkness into the light, bringing them into conscious awareness, then you can challenge them, work through them, deal with them, and dismiss them. Um, a, second, a second fear is fear of failure. And fear of failure is related to perfectionism, rejection, judgment. Many of us feel bad about ourselves when we, when we fail at a goal. We're conditioned to see failure as something wrong. Oh my God, I failed. We, we feel like a failure if we fail. And we personalize failure rather than seeing it as a stepping stone to success. What if I fail? actually is a very powerful motivator to stop giving it our best. Oh my God, what if I fail? It's not even worth it. I shouldn't even try. Instead, look at failure as Michael Jordan does, did, does, I think. He has a famous quote, which I'm going to share with you now. It is a fabulous quote. Michael Jordan said, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot, and I missed. I've failed over and over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. Don't you love it? Isn't that awesome? 
what a reframe. This quote emphasizes the importance of perseverance, resilience, and learning from failure. And these are the qualities that contributed to Michael Jordan's successful career in, in basketball and will also help you get to wherever you want to go, whether that's just beating binging, losing weight, getting healthier, or some other goal that you have for yourself in your life. A third anxiety is fear of expectation. When we think of becoming binge-free or, or reaching a specific weight goal, we often have expectations for what life will be like on the other side of that bathroom scale. The fear of expectation means that you believe that by, by changing your weight, you will change your life. If you think that when you stop binging and lose weight, you're going to do all the things. You're going to start dating or get a divorce. You're going to find a new job. You're going to have a baby, go to grad school, leave your partner, take some risk of some kind, which is scary. Then there are a lot of expectations about what you'll gain in life by losing weight. No pressure, right? Because here's the thing. What if your life doesn't change? The idea of, of not living up to expectations can be too scary. So you may give up before you meet your goal. Instead, challenge the idea that your expectations of yourself or your hopes and dreams are tied to your weight. Because guess what? You can date someone on, on, at any weight. You can get a new job at any weight. You can go to grad school at any weight. If that's something that you want to do, but you feel uh, conflicted about it, think about your think about that. Don't tie it to your weight. Consider what else may be blocking you from pursuing your goals. Really important. If you make it your weight, then there's all this expectation. It's super loaded. And and in addition to these things, it's often, oh, I'm going to be a different person. My expectation is that I'm going to be different. If I'm shy, oh, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to stop binging. I'm going to be outgoing. I'm going to be different. If I don't have a lot of friends, oh, I'm going to have a ton of friends. I'm just going to be a totally different person. But you know what happens when you lose weight? You are not a totally different person. You may have a totally different number in your genes, but you as a person haven't changed. Sure, you may feel good for a while. Ooh, I can wear whatever I want. Yes, feels good. But then, you know, wherever you are, there you are. Wherever you go, there you are. So yes, you may have gone from this weight to that weight. You're still you. And so sometimes the expectation has to do with how your whole personality is going to change. Because, of course, that is the illusion that is sold to us by the diet industry, the $60 billion diet industry that says, hey, when you lose weight, guess what? You're going to be happy. You're going you're gonna to be different. You're going to have the life you want. Isn't that amazing? And so, therefore, the, the, the sense of expectation about feeling better can really be loaded and scary. Think about that. Um, so we're going to take a break now. When I come back, I'm going to talk about the other four fears, and we're going to talk about how to deal with self-sabotage 
what to actually do about that. And if I have time, I will also talk more about self-care, which I started to do on the last show. I promise you, I will get to the rest of that as well. So I'll see you in a bit. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Are you tired of the endless cycle of dieting and binging? Ready to break free from emotional eating and regain control of your life? Look no further than The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina, the transformative radio show that will empower you on your journey to food freedom. Dr. Nina is here to guide you every step of the way. Join her as she delves into the true causes of binge eating, uncovers hidden triggers, and gives you effective strategies for lasting change. With practical tips and inspiring stories of transformation, The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina will help you nurture a healthier mindset, embrace self-compassion, and rediscover your true self. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. Have questions for Dr. Nina? Join her on the show at 866-472-5792. That's 866-472-5792. Now back to the show. Welcome back to The Binge Here with Dr. Nina. We are talking about surviving the slip-ups, saying goodbye to binge eating relapse and sabotage. We went over some of the reasons for relapse and the differences between relapse and sabotage. And now we're talking about the seven main reasons that lead to sabotage. Talked about fear of success, fear of failure, fear of expectation. And the next one is fear of impulsivity. One of my clients confessed to being really afraid that she would cheat on her husband if she got to her ideal weight. Whenever she got close to her dream goal of weighing 130 pounds, she celebrated with ice cream. And then she'd binge on ice cream for a month before she'd start another diet and the diet binge cycle would continue. As long as she was focused on losing weight, she wasn't thinking about her unsatisfying marriage. So a good way to proceed if you think fear of impulsivity might be here, that you might do something crazy if you lost weight and felt good about yourself, is to ask yourself, 
what are your hopes and fears about creating change? Consider what will be different when you are liberated from binging, when you don't think about food all the time, when you face your fears and you work through them, by the way, they lose power. So really look at what is it you're afraid you're going to do at a different weight? And why are you so afraid of that? Whatever it is that you're afraid to do, it's something you definitely need to look at. Like this woman, she was afraid she was going to cheat on her husband if she lost weight. And by the way, it took a while to get there. Um, and and I've heard similar things from many people. In fact, my very first group uh, for women with binging disorder, when I was an intern, the group where I, when I walked in and they said, what does a skinny bitch like you know about binge eating? At which point I told them my entire eating disorder history of being the poster child for eating disorder. So yes, this skinny bitch knew a lot. There was one member of the group who kept insisting the whole time. She said, no, I think I just like food too much. I, I just like this food too much. That's my problem. Nothing is bothering me. Nothing is worrying me. Nothing is going on with me emotionally. I'm fine. I have a good life. All is well. Denial, denial, denial. Well, what happens on the last day meeting, 24 and a group that day and of the group forever, because it was the last day of the meeting. She says, you know, I think if I were not worried about this, losing this 20 pounds, because that's what she was always talking about. I just like food too much. And that's why I can't lose the 20 pounds. And it was always 20 pounds, 20 pounds, 20 pounds. She said, you know what, if I weren't thinking about losing this 20 pounds, I think I'd want to divorce my husband. Hmm. So that was what was eating at her and weighing on her. So not that everybody is cheating on their partners. Um, in it, it, the, the fear of impulsivity is not always that, but it could be just something else that you might not have given yourself permission to do in your life. And you're afraid that if you get to some healthy goal weight, that you're going to give yourself permission to do this crazy impulsive thing, and then you're going to do it, and then what? So rather than avoid getting to a healthy weight to avoid the impulsivity, just consider what is it you think you're going to do and why? And it's hard to do that. It's hard to recognize, oh, I need to make some changes in my life, or maybe I'm not happy in my relationship or whatever it is. And to, 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 to deal with that, to process that. But you know what is way harder? Waking up every day and vowing to be good with food and feeling bad about yourself every time you get on the bathroom scale. That's really hard. It's really hard to go out and wonder if, um, you know, if your friends are judging you for gaining weight or are you going to fit in that banquet table or, you know, uh, you're going to order salad because you don't want people to judge you for what you're eating when really you want the sandwich, but oh no, you can't do that. That's hard. Having to think about this all the time and ruminate and perseverate all that, that is hard. So whatever it is that, that your fear is, whether it's fear of success or failure or impulsivity or, you know, what have you, it, you can work through it, right? As opposed to staying in that on that hamster wheel of dieting and binging and dieting and binging. All right. So the the next the next 
fear that leads to sabotage is fear of objectification. And sometimes weight becomes the way to protect ourselves from the unwanted gaze of other people and from physical intimacy. People who have had negative experiences with intimacy are often afraid of being viewed as objects, whether they were sexually abused or shamed in some way, shamed about their appearance. They may stay overweight because it makes them feel invisible. If any of these fears resonate with you, it's important to really figure out why you fear sexual or romantic attention. It is scary. It is very scary, especially if you have been abused, molested as a child. It's going to bring up all of those feelings that need to be healed, but they can be healed. You can heal from the past. Heal, then you protect yourself in the present from dangers that don't exist or existed in your past, and you never get to enjoy life fully and completely. So start working through your associations with, with intimacy, with relationships, by considering what you fear will happen if you feel attractive and are, are seen as attractive and why. I, I once treated a 13-year-old um, girl back when I treated people under the age of 21, which I don't anymore. Uh, and she once poignantly said to me, bad things don't happen to fat girls. She was terrified of losing weight because she thought that if she lost weight, she would have to deal with all kinds of bad things. Um, sexuality, guys, just um, being, being objectified, being seen as a thing, not a person. All of these were in her mind. She wasn't talking about it. She was expressing it by having her body be a barrier to all of that. A sixth fear is fear of intimacy. Did you ever see Runaway Bride? If you haven't, I recommend it. Great rom-com, Julia Roberts, Richard Gere, so cute. But Julia Roberts' character in the movie had this changing preferences for eggs. The type of eggs she liked depended on the kind her fiance liked. So one fiance liked backpacking and scrambled eggs. So she loved backpacking and scrambled eggs. Another one liked poached eggs and football. Oh, she loved put football, raw, raw. I, I may, may not have that exactly right, but you get the point. And she loved poached eggs. Like her preferences of eggs were, were not hers. They were the person that she was with. So many of us believe on some level that we have to give up ourselves to be in a relationship. And if you think that relationships will drain you or change you, or you have to give up you to be with someone else and align with their preferences and what they like, and just they subsume you into the relationship, you might tell yourself, oh, I can't be in a relationship until I lose weight. That means that when you get healthier, it will scare you on some level and you'll end up binging again just to stay out of that relationship mode if you see it as depleting yourself, giving yourself up. So when you perceive relationships 
as healthy and you can associate intimacy with being happy, you stop fearing connection. And when we have fulfilling relationships, we stop seeking companionship in a sense and literal fulfillment from food. The last one is fear of happiness. Happiness, as crazy as it, as it may sound, happiness can trigger sabotage. And you might be thinking, yeah, that does sound crazy. Of course I want to lose weight. That doesn't make me nervous. It's what I want more than anything. It will make me so happy. That is logical. That is true. It is logically true. But our minds don't always behave logically. Often it's not logical. It's psychological. Our mind has its own way of interpreting things. We may consciously yearn for happiness, but on another level, some of us are afraid that if we too happy, whatever that is, too happy, the rug will be pulled out from underneath us. The other shoe will drop. We'll realize it was too good to last. So what do we do to avoid the loss of happiness? Well, we don't allow ourselves to be happy. We don't, we don't get too happy by sabotaging ourselves, right? Uh, or maybe, uh, alternatively, um, maybe you attach a positive happiness. It is, it is said, uh, not true, but it is said that true artists must suffer. Maybe you think it's noble to suffer, that some, suffering somehow makes you a better person. And that can translate into the notion that a good person, if you suffer, and a bad person, if you embrace joy. And I'm not calling out any particular religions, but there are some religious tenets of some religions that kind of preach that. When you trust the idea that happiness can last, it's easier to stay on track without sabotaging your efforts. So which of these... Which of these seven fears can you identify with the most? Because when you identify the true reasons behind self-sabotage, that is your step to creating change. Now, how do you, how do you deal with self-sabotage? First, you, you cultivate compassion. You have to be kind to yourself. We all make mistakes. Don't backlash. Don't, don't shame yourself. Your self-talk influences the way you feel and the way you perceive yourself. So again, speak to yourself the way you would speak to a friend. Don't make mistakes into your identity and uh, believe in your ability to solve problems. Also acknowledge progress. It's an old proverb, fall down seven times, get up eight. It is normal to fall on your journey to interrelationship with yourself and with food. What's important is your tenacity, your perseverance, that you get up and you keep going and that you learn from each experience. Again, no one sits at a piano for the first time or the 12th and plays it perfectly. First, we have to learn where do we place our fingers? How do we make those sounds? How do we play chords? And we keep practicing until we're finally able to play. So strive for progress, not perfection. Also, neutralize fear. Future fears, all those what ifs, what if this happens? What if that happens? That's fear about the future. That causes you anxiety in the here and now. It causes present day anxieties and worries about something that may or may not happen in the future. 
And this what if thinking is about what might possibly happen in the future, but it causes absolute real anxiety in the present about an, about a situation that has not happened. What if I gain weight after eating that cookie? What if I can never stop binging? What if someone asks me, what if, what if I ask someone out on a date and I get rejected? What if I go for that new job and they turn me down? So the, the antidote to future fears is to stay present in the here and now. Replace what if with what is, which is reality and what you actually know to be true in the present. So, oh, I'm at the same weight I was this morning. I ate a cookie and I have not actually gained weight. I'm working on a new approach to stop binging. My friends and colleagues find me friendly and approachable. So maybe the person I ask on a date will say, yes, maybe uh, I'm going to get that job. When you think of what is actually happening, you're less likely to feel anxious, worried, or upset. Something else that you can do to, to, to deal with self-sabotage is to create a vision of the future. Because if you can imagine it, you can create it many times. If you don't know where you want to be, how will you know when you get there? And this is why I always recommend uh, creating a vision board, which is a visual depiction of how you want your life to look. And it shows what, what success and happiness actually looks like, not just as a, a feeling or, or a, a theoretical thing or, or um, a job description or, or acquiring something, but what will it look like? So imagine your ideal life and consider what does your day look like? Think people you're going to interact with during the day who are they if there are people what is your your preferred way to spend your time what do you want to do for fun i i think it's also fun to look through magazines do an old school vision board look through magazines or newspapers or whatever cut out words and images that appeal to you you know or go online and find images that fit and download them and and put them on an actual vision board because then you see it you have something to grow into and self sabotage becomes trickier when you know exactly what you want you know what you want and you know what's been keeping you from achieving what you want and you're you're dealing with that and you're working through that and you're processing that, you can allow yourself to uh, say goodbye to sabotage, learn from your experiences oh, and relapse and keep going. So keep in mind the difference between relapse and sabotage. Relapse means returning to old coping strategies like binging or being preoccupied with food or weight. Um, and that's because of an external trigger. So, so relapse is an external trigger, some situation in your life that causes unbearable emotions and often a sense of helplessness about it. Self-sabotage results from an internal trigger, and it often occurs when things are going well and, and causes some conflict about success and well-being and, and being in a place of, of happiness. Look, if you never... If you never enter paradise, no one can kick you out. And sometimes we don't allow ourselves to be happy because at least we are managing 
that unhappiness. We have mastery over it. If we let ourselves be happy and something happens out of the blue, that's super awful. So at least we don't have to worry about something bad happening from out of the blue if we are the agent of the bad thing. Relapse and self-sabotage are not signs of failure, but they are indicators of underlying conflicts that need your compassionate attention. Notice I say compassionate attention. Be curious, not critical. Be curious, not critical. Um, Because when you're critical, all you do is make yourself feel bad. When you're curious, you can find answers. So the journey to liberation, binge eating liberation, not recovery, liberation is when it's truly in your rear view mirror, Um, as well as any change that we make in our life. That journey is not linear. It is filled with difficulties, successes, and setbacks, but ultimately it's the two steps forward, one step back. You're still a step ahead and keep that in mind. And embracing self-awareness and cultivating patience, that can make such a difference. It, it makes all the difference. Healing is a process. We can only heal when we are kind to ourselves, nice to ourselves, supportive to ourselves. So whether you're on this journey yourself or you're supporting a loved one who's struggling with food, know that help is available and change is possible. This is not a lifetime sentence. There is always hope. There really is a cure, a binge cure. That's why my book is called The Binge Cure. That's why this show is called The Binge Cure. I've gotten flack in some reviews for people said, there's no cure to binge eating. Oh, really? Well, try working exclusively as an eating disorder therapist for 23 years. And you know, when you, when you do that as I have, you tell me. Because in my 23 years of experience, or is it 22? Oh, it's tw- it's 22. I <laughs> saw my first, first patient in 2001. All right. <laughs> so in my tw- 22 years of, of treating people with exclusively seeing people with eating disorders, I only saw one person who didn't, but her daughter had an eating disorder. Uh, I can tell you absolutely, without a doubt, there is a cure. This is not something you have to deal with for the rest of your life. You can heal and you can go on and live the life of your dreams, the, 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 the life that you can envision. That's the other reason why it's so important to do that vision board. Because, you know, if you want to, if you want to just sort of feel better, what does that mean? How will you know when you feel better unless you know where it is you want to go? So that is uh, all about relapse and sabotage. I just have a few more minutes. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about just continue talking about some of the myths of of self care that I started talking about in the last show. Um, and one of the myths uh, is that 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 so, the first one was that self care is selfish. No, there's a difference between being selfish, which is all about you don't matter, and self selfless, which is it's all about you. I don't matter. Neither of those is good for different reasons. In the middle is self-care, 
which is I'm going to balance my needs and yours. And sometimes, you know what, I'm going to give up me to take care of you. But sometimes, uh, you, you know, you're going to take care of me or I'm going to take care of me and not you. That's self-care and that's healthy. When, when, we, when we're too selfless, anytime we think about ourselves, it can feel selfish, but feelings are not facts. So think about in between selflessness and selfishness is self-care. Another myth is that self-care is indulgent. It's indulgent. It's unnecessary. No, it is actually an essential part of maintaining your physical, emotional, and mental health. And neglecting your needs can really lead to negative health consequences. Like consider if you are uh, too helpful. And this goes into the selfless part. Maybe you're always available for your friends, your neighbors, your kids, your parents, your family, whoever. You give and you give and you give and you give and you end up empty. And maybe you fill that emptiness with food. Or you distract from it by eating. Or you comfort yourself by eating. Instead, the answer is self-care, right? If you take care of everybody and food takes care of you, that's not good. The answer is to, to, to cultivate self-care. So if you think you don't have time for self-care, it's so indulgent, challenge that idea. If you take care of everybody else, but food is the only thing that takes care of you, it's time to create change. Because when we, when we take care of ourselves, we're better able to cope with the, the stress of life. So life can be stressful. And better able to manage our emotions, manage situations, better able to be more present for people in our lives, actually. So self-care isn't selfish or, uh, or um, a, a luxury. It's actually one of the most important things that you can do for yourself. Another myth is that self-care is expensive. Self-care is expensive. It requires a significant financial investment. People, when they think of self-care, they think of things like spa treatments, massages, yoga classes, vacations. Well, self-care, if you think of it that way, can seem like it's only for people with disposable income. But self-care doesn't have to break the bank. Taking care of yourself, your physical, emotional self, your mental health, it, it can involve simple, simple things that are free. Taking a walk, deep breathing. Uh, going on YouTube and, and doing a yoga class or just going outside and taking some deep breaths. That's free. You could do that anytime. That's self-care. Spending time with people you love and care about is also a form of self-care. It doesn't require, oh, I'm almost, I'm almost out of time. Look at that. Um, it doesn't require a financial investment. So, you know, just be with people that make you feel happy, safe, and supported. That's self-care too. So thank you so much for joining me here on the Dr. Nina Show, the Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. It really is possible to ditch dieting, stop thinking about food 24-7, and banish binging so you can get back to living your life while being healthy. I'm here every Thursday at noon Pacific on Voice America. And if you want a deeper dive into this topic and much more, be sure to get your copy of my book, The Binge Cure by Dr. Nina. Seven Steps to Outsmart Emotional Eating. It is available in Amazon on all formats. Stay curious, not critical, and I will see you next week. Bye for now.
Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. Each week, she offers valuable insights to stop emotional eating and give steps to lead a joyous life. Tune in next Thursday at 12 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. 